starting with Romans 10, verse 10 to 17. For it is with your heart that you believed and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And then Isaiah 52, verse 7. Which says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace and who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Thanks, Nicole. Right, we've been sitting down for a little while. Why don't you stand with me as we pray and commit our time to the Lord? Lord God, we want to humble ourselves before you now, and I pray, we all pray, Lord, for your help, that you'll help our minds to be sharp, that they will stand to attention before you like a, a soldier, standing ready to hear your orders. And Lord, I pray that you'll be at work in our hearts. Lord, may they not be guarded against you speaking to us. May our hearts be relaxed like we're kicking back on the couch, Lord, ready to listen. So, Lord, work in us, we ask, we pray, Lord, that there will be no distraction. May Satan have no opportunity to distract our hearts and our minds this morning. But we want to be yours and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all love stories, don't we? And it's good to hear on those videos stories of three stories of how the gospel's going into different parts of the world with people doing very different types of things, but with the same aim, that people can hear the gospel. Well, today we're going to be hearing some more stories. We're going to be hearing stories from history. We're going to be hearing stories from the Bible. We're going to be hearing a story of how the gospel first went to the Karen people in Burma which is now called Myanmar. But I really want to get down this morning to you and to your story. When it comes to being a messenger of the good news, what will your story be? So our first story this morning is about marathon. Anyone know where the word marathon comes from? Well, we were in Athens in January this year and we heard this story. The Marathon is actually a small city about 25 miles from Athens. Now, there was a famous battle there in 490 BC. The Greeks were holding off the invading Persians. 
Now, they did not know how this battle was going to go. The Persians were a mighty power. But they had this battle, and they won. Now, in those days when there was a battle, they couldn't just pick up the satellite phone or use a radio. The way that they brought news from battle back to the king was by feet. They had a runner. And in this instance, this is what makes this story famous, this runner ran this 25 miles back into the city of Athens to deliver his news of victory. It's good news. What makes it memorable is that as he delivered his good news, he dropped dead. He gave his all to be the bearer of good news. Now, as we talk about us being bringers of good news, hopefully that's not our fate. But are we willing to give our all? What are we willing to give in our story to be people who will be messengers of the good news? Well, another story is Isaiah 52, what Nicole just read for us. The context here of Isaiah's prophecy is talking to the people of Israel. Now, Israel are captives at this time. They've been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Why are they there? God made them go there. It was God's design, God's punishment on them because of their idolatry and their disobedience to him. They were there in captivity and then God spoke to them through the prophet Isaiah a message of good news, a good news of coming salvation. And Isaiah couches this good news with that same sort of picture. Imagine a runner Beautiful feet upon the mountains coming to give a message of beautiful news. This is good news. Well, what was the good news to these people who were captives in Babylon? 52 verse 7 says that it was a message of peace. Proclaim peace, bring good tidings, proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Let's quickly look at these things. The good news is that it's a message of peace. Not peace between Israel and the Babylonians. Now, this is peace between Israel and God. They were under God's judgment, under his wrath. But here is the good news. Your time of punishment is done. Isaiah 51, 17 said that they were there because they were drinking the cup of God's wrath. Now, the good news, that time of God's punishment is coming to an end. Now is a message of peace. God is going to bring you back and restore this relationship where there was division and separation and wrath. There is now peace. Time for a fresh start for Israel and God. Proclaim good tidings. This simply is bring good news of good news. The repetition amplifies the intensity of this. It is good news. It is a message of salvation. You are held captive. You are oppressed by a foreign force. But God is going to come and bring salvation. You will be set free from captivity. You will be brought back home. The Lord will do this for you. They will be saved from captivity. And say to Zion, which is say in Jerusalem, or say amongst yourselves, Israel, your God reigns. Now you see that that's in quotation there. 
This was a common refrain used in temple worship. Your God reigns or our God reigns. It also is echoed a few times in Isaiah's writings. In Isaiah 40, it talks about God's reign. It says, he is a sovereign God and he will come in power. But it also says that he is a shepherd and he will come and gather up his lambs and and hold them close to his heart. God is in control. God reigns over everything. He will come in power and save you, and he will take care of you. What a wonderful message to people who are lost and hopeless in captivity. Well, that's exactly what happened, what Isaiah prophesied came to be in 538 B.C., They were set free from Babylonian captivity, free to return back to Jerusalem and to rebuild. But whilst that became fulfilled there, this rescue also pointed forward to a greater rescue from an even greater type of captivity, sin. Now we look at the next story. It's Romans 10. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. He'd never got the chance to be there yet. (coughs) When he did go there, he was as a prisoner. (coughs) But he writes to them, to a church who is made up of people from Jewish background, but many, many, many who are not from a Jewish background. He writes to them about this good news gospel, and he goes deep. Have you ever read Romans? It's deep and it's rich. He's doing this so that they understand what does it mean to be non-Jewish people who understand the gospel of Jesus. He also wants to equip them deeply so that Rome could be a place, a hub where the gospel could extend even further west, even towards Spain. But he's writing about good news. And in Romans 10, we see that he's talking about Righteous, uh, having a righteousness that comes through putting your trust in Jesus Christ. It says righteousness is given. Now, that word righteousness just simply means a right standing. It means you in relationship before God. It means that you can be right. Stand rightly with God if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. So it says this is possible for the Jew and anybody from any culture or any background. Now, this is the good news because it says basically the doors of salvation are flung wide open. Verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a wonderful invitation. Verse 13 quotes from Isaiah 28 and Joel chapter 2. Now, in the Old Testament context, this was just a message for Israel. But now, Paul says, now this is an invitation for anyone, for the whole world to hear. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So, verse 13 says, there's an invitation, an opportunity for anyone. Verse 15 says, quoting from Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, feet aren't beautiful, are they? Really. 
Maybe you spent money on a pedicure and good on you. Or maybe you go to the podiatrist and your feet look better and feel better. But that doesn't make feet beautiful. What makes feet beautiful is the message that they carry. So here is someone with beautiful feet because they've got a beautiful message to share. And yet here is the invitation for the world to hear. How do we bring these two things together, the need and the messenger? And that's the question that Paul is asking here in verse 14 and 15. He says, how, 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 how? How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? He's outlining for us this whole process of salvation. We have the next slide here. He's telling us in reverse what needs to happen for people to be saved. It's is God's plan of salvation, or we'll call it the chain of gospel proclamation. He's told it in reverse, we say it in forward ways. Someone needs to be sent to preach so that they can hear and believe in Jesus Christ and call on him and be saved. Now, this looks pretty overwhelming, doesn't it? How do you do that? Who can do that? Well, the great news is that this is what God is doing. This is God's work in the world. God is sovereignly sovereignly in control over all of this. If we have the next slide, thanks, Meg, it just divides this up a little bit. We can't make people call on the name of the Lord. We can't make people believe in Jesus Christ. We can't even make people truly have ears to hear what we have to say. But we can send and we can preach. And that's the invitation to the church. Actually, it's more than an invitation. It's a command, it's a mandate. This is the way that the church participates, cooperates in the mission of God in the world. We are to send and we are to preach. And so this is what I now want to zoom in on for the rest of this sermon, these next two points. Send. First thing I need to say is that we are all sent. Some of us are going to be sent across the street. Some of us will be sent across the world. We are all sent. Just a matter of where. And as I said before, some people will feel a stirring and a calling from God to maybe go somewhere else to bring, be a bringer of good news. Or maybe you simply just look at the needs and go, I could do that. I'm going to start to take steps and see what the Lord does with that. And if you're interested in that, please come and have a chat with me later on. And we've got some excellent flyers out there that talk about taking your first steps into going somewhere else to do mission. But we're all called to go here, to be sent as sent ones into our local community. And that's the responsibility of the church. You're responsible for the gospel going out here in this community, but the church is also responsible for the gospel going to the ends of the earth as well. It is both. Now, I want you to think about where you go. Think about your normal week routine. We all sort of have a well-worn track. 
the places that our car could take us on autopilot or the place where we could walk with our eyes closed nearly. Might be between home and church and the shops, school, work, the golf course, your kid's netball club. Where is it that you go week in and week out? That well-worn path. As you go, do you think about yourself being a sent one? Because you have a beautiful message. Do you have those beautiful feet that are going to bring it? Are you intentionally thinking that way as you do whatever it is that you do week in and week out? Are you thinking about yourself being a messenger? Well, maybe you're like me and you think about that. Now, I work a lot with Christians. And I think about my world here and I think I actually need to really work on this because I don't consistently come across the same non-Christians all the time. My well-worn path is very much with people who have already heard the gospel. My challenge, and maybe this is a challenge for you, is to think, how can you make a change to that well-worn track? How can you add somewhere new to intentionally get to know people that you can have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with? Where do you go? Maybe you need to branch off to be bring it to somewhere new, to someone new. Well, that's sent. Now we are sent to preach. You might say, well, Brendan, this is where you lose me because I'm not a preacher. I can't get up and talk in front of people. I'm not good with words. Would you remember Moses? When God called him to go and lead his people out of captivity in Egypt. He was very reluctant. I'm not good with words, I can do it. He was totally inadequate. But God helped him. And what an amazing leader Moses turned out to be. He couldn't do it on his own, no way. But with God's help, wow. We can all preach. Well, what are we to preach? Let's go back to Isaiah 52, verse 7. We are to bring good news to people of a rescue from a captivity that's even greater than human captivity. It is captivity to sin. We are to preach, to proclaim peace, to say that we are separated from God because of our sin. We are not at peace with God. We are actually under God's judgment. But... Through Jesus, we are, a way is now possible for us to come into relationship with God, to come into peace, to have a fresh new start. We have a message of peace. We have a message of good news. And we can proclaim salvation. That you are captive to sin and all of the consequences of sin. You're captive to death. You were captive to Satan and the powers of evil. That you were trapped there. You were stuck there. There is nothing you can do to help yourself in that situation. You are captive. But Jesus came. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And as he died on the cross, 
if you put your faith and trust in him. He died for your sins. And then he rose again and conquered not just sin, he conquered death and conquered evil. And so anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is now set free, no longer captive to these things, but now saved, saved from them into a new life. It's a message of being saved. It's a good news rescue story that we can share with people. And we can declare that God reigns in a world where people think this world is stuffed, there's no hope. Well, we, when we come to know God, we see that there's a very, very, very different story happening here. That God is sovereign. That God is in control. God has come in power through his son. And that he rules. And we look forward to the fact that Jesus will come back again. That this Jesus who came in power is also the good shepherd. The good shepherd who holds you like a lamb close to his heart. He looks after you. And he always will. And when he comes back again, he will make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth that we can enjoy with him forever. God is in control. He reigns. Well, even if I tell you, you can still preach and it's a simple enough message, you might still think, I don't know. Well, let me tell you the story of how the gospel first went to the Karen people in Burma, which is now called Myanmar. The Karen people were a persecuted people, and they still are. The story I'm going to tell is from the 1800s, but they still are persecuted people. Today, many of them are refugees sent by the UN all around the world. Even the country town in Ireland where we lived received quite a few Karen refugees. They are a persecuted people. Now, they were even a persecuted people back in the 1800s. They were uh, seen as wild, uneducated, undesirable. Now, the first Karen believer was a man called Kothabayu. He was converted in 1828. Now, he first heard the gospel through his Burmese um, owner. He was a slave. And he had heard the gospel through Adoniram Judson. You may have heard that name, one of America's first missionaries sent out to eight, in 1813 to Burma. Now, Kotha Bayou was described as an energetic missionary. And for the last 12 years of his life, after he was converted, he saw 1,270 Karen people come to faith and be baptized, and many other people from other tribes. And you might think I'm telling you the story of someone who's a pretty impressive preacher and a pretty impressive man. Let's look at who he really was. He was a murderer and a thief. He had murdered at least 30 Karen people. He lost count after that. He had been in prison for much of his life. But then he was released and was a slave or a coolie of a Burmese Christian. That's how he heard the gospel and was converted in 1828. Adoniram Judson, the American missionary, described him as a vicious and angry person. And he said this about him, I have never taught so stupid a man. Here at the end of six months, 
his mind seems just as darkened as the first day. Hardly complimentary, is it? But how is it that someone with such a dodgy past, someone so angry and vicious, someone so stupid, simple, could see 1,270 of his own people plus many others come to faith? How? How? Well, he became a manservant to Adoniram Judson. He was the proper missionary, right? He was the one sent with the theological education to go and translate the Bible into Burmese, to plant churches and to proclaim the gospel. And he did that really well. But alongside him was this man, very quietly, unassuming, Bayou, that as he travelled with Adoniram Judson, he would go into the hills and find the Karen people. He had no literature to share with them. There was nothing written down, and they were uneducated people anyway. He simply sat, simply sat around the campfires with them and spoke what he knew. I'm going to read a quote now from another missionary of the time, another Western missionary called Francis Mason. Bayou was the most effectual preacher with the untaught Karens we ever had. And he was the most ignorant. Getting a measure of this guy? He had very few thoughts. But these were grand ones. And everything else he deemed as rubbish. The fall of man, his need of a saviour, the fullness of Christ and the blessedness of heaven. And he used these thoughts like an auger in drilling a rock. It was round and round and round and round and round until the object was accomplished. The Christian Karens, as they became more fully instructed, could not bear to hear him. They required better educated teachers. But the schools have not turned out his equal and probably never will for an untaught assembly. Do you get the point? He was a simple man and he had very few thoughts, but those that he had were the important ones. He was just a simple guy who really treasured the truth that he had. And he spoke it everywhere he went. And his legacy was that as other Karen people came to faith in Jesus, they just thought that was normal. That's what you do, isn't it? So many of them just took what they could on their backs and were gone six months at a time throughout the remote mountain villages sharing the good news. Beautiful, beautiful feat. They thought that was just normal. And it should be just normal, right? How is it possible that someone with such a dodgy past, someone who's really quite simple-minded, could see such incredible fruit for the gospel? Well, it all, his life changed, didn't it, in 1828? He came to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ that those truths became his truths and he received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, in this period of time between his resurrection and his 40 days before he ascended to heaven, he said this to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And if you keep reading the book of Acts, you see very shortly afterwards, 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven was the day of Pentecost 
and the Holy Spirit came in power. Even 3,000 people were added to their number just that day. And in the weeks after that, incredible results as people heard the gospel. But what's remarkable is you see these disciples being bold, willing to give all, many of them even being willing to give their life to proclaim the good news. But when we read the Gospels, we see that just a matter of weeks beforehand, they were hiding behind locked doors. After Jesus died, they were afraid and timid. Yet what a difference. The resurrection of Jesus who now reigns and the coming of his Holy Spirit. And I encourage you this morning to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you afresh, to say, Lord, please fill me with the courage and the love that I need. Love for you, Lord Jesus, but love for people, love for the lost. So as I close, think about your feet. Where will you go? Think about your well-worn path. Think about the people that you encounter. Maybe you need to add onto that. But also hear that there is a world out there. There are so many needs. And as my role as a mission mobilizer, every week I'm hearing needs from teams all around the world saying, we need more people. Every week, we need more people. Where will you go? And how will you go? In ancient times, as they were waiting for news from a battle, they had a watchtower in the city and there were watchmen and they would look for these messengers coming to deliver the news. And these watchmen, they knew from a distance whether they were carrying good news or bad news. If they were carrying bad news, well, then they were just sort of lacking something. Dragging their feet, not very fast. Their body language sort of said it all. They were carrying bad news and they really didn't want to deliver it. But in contrast, those who had good news, well, they were kicking up the dust. They came with the joy and an excitement. They knew they had a message of victory and good news to share. And they didn't haste. They went for it with an urgency. Where will you go and how will you go? Church, we are sent to preach so that people can hear the good news of Jesus that they can believe in him and so that they can call upon his name and be saved. Let's pray. God, we understand what you're doing in the world. And Lord, we know that we are weak we know that we are really all quite simple people. But Lord, we want to seek you in our life. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here this morning that we may be reminded again of what good news that we have. 
so that our feet can be beautiful feet to carry this beautiful news. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you'll help us to consider our life, our week in and our week out. Guide us, Lord, in the way that we live, how we live, what we say. Lord, we know that we are weak and we need a vision of your gospel. We need to know that you, King Jesus, are reigning and ruling. And we thank you for your word that tells us so clearly that you are. But we thank you for the coming of your Holy Spirit that we've received as we've come to faith in you. Lord, give us courage and give us love that we may go with joy and urgency and speak the wonderful good news. Give us love Love beyond ourselves, Lord, that we can be willing to put our own needs and desires second so that we can love others before ourselves and share the great news of the gospel with them. We humble ourselves before you. We surrender ourselves to you. Use us for your good purposes, we ask. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.